I believe that the most positive influence we can have on our own lives and on our relationships and our communities comes from our own sovereignty, the direct meeting place between ourselves and universal consciousness. It is our true source of wisdom, guidance, stability, creativity, and love. I believe we can deepen our sovereignty and this connection through heart-focused meditation and the transcendent language of poetry. Welcome to the Sovereignty Clinic Podcast with Dr. Zan Nix, a new platform for exploring human consciousness through the lens of spirituality and poetry. Dr. Zan Nix is a teacher, poet, singer, songwriter, and coach. Her books of poetry include An Ocean of Fierce Loving, Poems on Love and Transformation, and Unchosen Poems. This Life is the title of her album of original music. Today's topic is love and longing. For as sovereignty is where our individual self and universal consciousness meet, love and longing are two of the languages Source speaks to us in with clarity, direction, and inspiration. Welcome to the Sovereignty Podcast channel. Today's topic is love and longing. And it's one of my favorite topics because it is related to a previous podcast on sovereignty, where I talked about how Brahman or God or spirit, whatever word you use for universal consciousness, delivers wisdom and guidance to us through our devotion to our own sovereignty. Sovereignty being the meeting or melting point between Atman, the self with a capital S, our God within, and God. And the way in which this information is delivered is subtle, often quiet, and easily missed. Silence and a practice of meditation is one of the most consistent and effective ways to grow our sovereignty and this divine connection. And love and longing are two of the forms in which this information comes to us. So paying close attention to what we love and what we long for in our lives is essential. I'm gonna talk about what gets in the way of listening to our loves and longings, the fear of feeling, the avoidance of tension, and lastly, the mind's attachment to knowing. Then I'm going to talk about what improves our hearing and gives us courage. And we'll end with a short meditation. I'm going to begin with two poems, one I wrote about love and the other about longing. Together they capture the philosophy of this talk. This first poem is the byproduct of an annual practice I've had for over 40 years. On the first day of each year, I write what I call my PLO, which stands for Precious Life Outline. It is similar to goal setting, yet entirely different. It is more like a download from my own Atman Brahman connection about the priorities of my heart and soul. Priorities that I can hear for me in the same way I believe you can hear for yourself. I then draft an outline of my life devoted to those priorities. As part of that process, I write a poem for the year ahead 
And this was last year's poem called Where the Soul Belongs. The soul belongs to its favorite loves. That's how it weaves the braid of what it gives and what it is and the design for which it's made. It's how the soul connects with God and hears the universe clearly for where to go and what to do that serves the world most dearly. For me, it's water, poetry, nature, a big part, spirit itself and playfulness and connecting from the heart. I vow to my soul's wisdom, to how it weaves with grace, to fiercely following my favorite loves and living from this true place. And this one about longing from my book on chosen poems called Wisdom. Longings are the leopards that run through my soul. I let them go wildly through jungles they know. Natural born hunters, instinctual and free. I never turn a blind eye to what these cats see. When I left a long career corporate job four years ago, one of my best friends with whom I worked left a short time later. And at the time, I bought us both a reproduced painting that hangs on both our bedroom walls that says, let go of the things you like to make room for the things you love. One of the biggest roadblocks to having more of what we love is the fear that if we listen to what we love, what we long for, we may have to give up other things that are important to us, like financial security or a marriage or a relationship or an image we have of ourselves or others have for us. And that feels like too big a price to pay. So we shut out our love and longing when it speaks and we have endless distractions that help us do this. But what we lose in the process is a certain intimacy with ourselves and therefore with others. We may even project our longings onto others in the form of jealousy. An example of this in my own life is I used to get very jealous and judgmental of people that took time to relax and of people who sat in coffee shops and read for hours. I simply wasn't listening to my own longing for rest and self-nurturing. I was pushing it away in fear of losing focus and, and screwing up on responsibilities. I love my life when it's in balance and I don't want anyone else's. So jealousy can be a good teacher, an indication that can reveal denied longing. And I haven't found the stories we write about having this or that are really that reliable. I think we were all more creative than that. And sometimes what we think we are going to lose if we follow our loves and longings is actually transformed by doing so. Of course, if I'm afraid of feeling my own feelings, whether they be about love and longing or loss, anger, sadness, etc., I'm going to have a lot less capacity to be with your deeper feelings. This is a poem I wrote about that willingness to dive into our own feelings and intimacy with others. It's called Catalyst. Before rushing in to dry your friend's tears, do you both a favor. 
give each of your flowery words a set of gills and dive down into the places where you are powerless. Hold your own heart in those deep waters and make peace with grief. Nature knows all seasons are necessary for growth. The sun never shames the rain. Trees aren't apologizing for their nakedness in winter. A violent storm isn't craving calm. Consider this. Temporary rootedness in dark soil may be precisely what creates a vibrant bloom come spring. Instead of trying to make your friend happy, be a catalyst for insight. When I hear someone say, I'm afraid if I start crying, I'll never stop. Or if I feel my grief, I'll go down the rabbit hole. I do know this is true for some people, that some don't make it out of depression alive. And I have great compassion for hearts that have been broken, my own included. But I also find in my own experience, I want to feel what has written me to feel. As the poet Odysseus wrote, don't be afraid what has written you to feel. This is a poem I wrote about the messiness of feeling and the courage it takes to just trust that process sometimes. And it's called When Pity is Pretty. Right now, I don't want no pretty talk, no enlightened philosophy, no maturity or positive anything. No hiding from this fierce and furious tyrant. I want a pity party and that's all. Lip, abandon your stiffness. Intellect, take a hike. I want to feel everything that's been taken and bleed out all the blame and the shame. My head is weary from holding this heavy baggage only the heart can unpack. Right now, lock the doors, give her everything she wants, let the bitch have her way. Another reason we want to avoid listening to our loves and longing is that, is that there is often a tension between what we have and what is calling us forward. So becoming a good listener requires a certain ability to hold that tension for a time which can bring a deeper, wiser resolution. This is one of my favorite poems about all the activity that can be going on when we are holding the tension. How in the midst of waiting for clarity and timing, something is already clear and running parallel. It's written by a Polish poet by the name of Wisława Zimborska, and it's called Love at First Sight. They're both convinced that a sudden passion joined them. Such certainty is beautiful, but uncertainty is more beautiful still. Since they'd never met before, they're sure that there'd been nothing between them. But what's the word from the streets, staircases, hallways? Perhaps they've passed by each other a million times? I want to ask them if they don't remember a moment face-to-face -face in some revolving door? Perhaps a sorry muttered in a crowd? A curt wrong number caught in the receiver? But I know the answer. No, they don't remember. They'd be amazed to hear 
that chance has been toying with them now for years, not quite ready yet to become their destiny. It pushed them close, drove them apart. It barred their path, stifling a laugh, and then leaped aside. There were signs and signals, even if they couldn't read them yet. Perhaps three years ago, or just last Tuesday, a certain leaf fluttered from one shoulder to another. Something was dropped and then picked up. Who knows, maybe the ball that vanished into childhood's thicket? There were doorknobs and doorbells where one touch had covered another beforehand. Suitcases checked and standing side by side. One night, perhaps the same dream, grown hazy by morning. Every beginning is only a sequel after all, and the book of events is always open halfway through. And while we're on the subject of romantic love, a more lighthearted poem I wrote about waiting and longing called The Baker That Disappeared. A melted cube of butter blended into vanilla and two types of sugar. I am that creamy concoction, softened and sweetened by your eyes, your smell, by the way you call me darling. But we are in two separate stainless steel bowls, left abandoned on the counter. Your ingredients, unlike dairy, dry, no expiration date. The preheated oven waits for our consummated mounds of richness laced with dark brown miniature kisses. My God, dear, if you only knew what your presence has done to me and how much I want that baker to come back and finish what he started. The last thing I want to mention is another way we miss and undervalue love and longing. It's by having to know where we are going, where love and longing is going to take us. When I write a poem, it is seldom the poem I think I'm going to write. And love is like that too. It requires a certain faith and letting go into the mystery of its path. Like the creative process, we don't know the finished product. What's forming is wiser than our intellectual conclusions. And if we force knowing, we miss the real gift. Before we all found ourselves sheltering in place in the early part of this year, I attended a seminar in Mazunti, Mexico at the Radaya Meditation Center, which is a very special place in Oaxaca, Mexico. And my teacher there, Sahashananda, spoke about this beautiful concept of bhavana, which describes the initial spark we feel in our body when something is calling us forward. It's that mysterious inspiration, often remarkably subtle. I was really grateful to hear this concept because I trust this energy and follow it. I don't have the details, but I have a deep trust or faith that I will know over time. But what's also been familiar to me is an awkwardness when people ask, why are you doing this? What are you creating? What is your intention? Just saying I don't know sounds even flaky to me. But I also don't want to contaminate the purity of the love by bringing the mind into something the heart is still forming. 
So I have a great response now. I can just say I'm in the bhavana stage of creating and leave it there. I don't want the mind to interfere with mystery. And when I follow what I love, the details do come. So listening to our loves and longings requires a certain love affair with the unknown. As Rumi said in this poem, so don't be timid, load the ship and set out. No one knows for certain whether the vessel will sink or reach the harbor. Just don't be one of those merchants who won't risk the ocean. This is much more important than losing or making money. This is your connection to God. So those are some of the things that get in our way. Now, how do we build our capacity to listen? How do we load that ship and set out? How do we continually come back to our own deep loves? Joseph Campbell said, follow your bliss. And this has unfortunately been translated to mean if you follow what you love, everything will get easy. But this isn't what Campbell was saying. I think what he was saying is follow your bliss. And this is similar to what I'm saying when I say follow your loves and longings. Not because it's a guarantee of ease or perfection, but it's more about the rightness or the sacredness of our own unique evolving lives that are far more complex than happy ever afters. Not that I'm opposed to bliss. <laughs> I do believe it exists. I just think it's a byproduct of loving and learning and spontaneity and humanness. I wrote a whole series of poems called Follow Your Bliss, this being the first one I wrote. I had this rambunctious desire to blow up the myth of perfection in Campbell's quote. This one is called Follow Your Bliss, number one. I don't trust that writers have lived into everything they write or public people are the same in private. How did Joseph Campbell live out that line in his own life? I like to imagine a big range of humanness in everyone. Like Mr. Campbell sitting at his writing desk, depressed, searching for any flicker of inspiration when that famous bliss line came. No, not there. Sitting on the toilet, bumper stickers out of bowel movements, follow your bliss, shit happens. I've lived them both, they're related. I was relieved also to read what Mother Teresa wrote in her journal, that she wasn't sure her life had purpose. When I read that, I loved her even more. I don't believe in perfection. I fall in love with humanness yours and mine. What we love and what we are drawn to unfolds our lives. There are no questions the world outside of us asks that are as profound as the questions that come from inside our own hearts, our own sovereignty. This is a poem I wrote about that for myself called Wonderment. As an academic, you ask me, what is my theory? As a chaplain, you ask me, what is my religion? As a woman, you ask me, to whom am I married? Listen, I know how minds are like fingers picking at strings for a familiar tune. 
but I am like a child lost in the wonderment of every natural way. If any of these were my questions, my answers would likely make no sense. Infinity. Love. God. Recently, I came across a beautiful movie called The Music of Silence about Andrea Pocelli's life. And the soundtrack brought back the most precious memories of running down the middle of the cobblestone streets in Positano on the Amalfi Coast of Italy, with Andrea's first album streaming through my earbuds and kicking the ball back to the children playing soccer in the street. And I thought, what incredible memories traveling has blessed me with, especially in these times when travel is not possible. And yet traveling wasn't always bliss. There was loneliness sometimes on those solo journeys. There were challenges. And yet by following my love of travel, I've grown and increased my creativity expanded my heart, enriched my soul immeasurably. And my favorite part of exploring other cultures has always been the people, connecting with the hearts of strangers, recognizing that home is everywhere. An African woman I met in the Nairobi airport said it about as simply as it can be said. In Swahili, she said, you hear good as she pointed to her heart and mine. Following what I love gives me courage, which is the word that came from the French word cour, which means heart. So don't forget to reflect on the times in your own lives when you did follow your loves and longings. And maybe it did lead sometimes through difficult chapters that you may be grateful for now because they grew you in important ways. And maybe you also have some blissful memories as well. So we pay attention to the invitations of love and the scent of longing by consistently making room for silence. And like muscles that develop when we exercise, the heart too is a muscle. And the more time we spend listening to it, the more connected we become to our own sovereignty, universal consciousness, and the guidance of our loves and longings. Let us end now with a short Radaya meditation, Radaya meaning the spiritual heart, as you dip into clear, deep waters with this one last poem I wrote called This Lake of Love. Close your eyes. Keep your back straight. Take three deep breaths and put your whole focus on your heart. Our clouds move freely along the floor and geese fly gracefully through liquid skies. My gaze at last 
in deep repose, reflecting quietly through nature's eyes. I think that I could never live without these timeless water days, watching trees grow deep as high, melting minds more linear ways. So slide the veil between these worlds, the one below and the one above. And yet when heady focus reigns, I forget this lake of love. Breathe deep, slowly. Notice the voids on the top of your in-breath and the bottom of your out-breath. Hang in those voids. Focus on love. Swim in what you love with no attachment, no intention of outcome. Just breathe into your heart, your lake of love.
Namaste. Thanks for listening to the Sovereignty Clinic Podcast with Dr. Zan Nix. For more from Dr. Zan Nix, go to drzannix.com or subscribe to this podcast. We hope you found this time enjoyable. Have a great day.